What's up, independent insurance agents? Are you finally fed up with the massive amounts of time, money, resources being allocated to customer service within your agency? Is this causing your agency growth and revenue to become stagnant or even decline? The answer to this frustration is Glovebox, the premier mobile and web self-servicing solution made by successful independent insurance agents just like us, specifically for independent insurance agencies. Guys, this is the only platform with direct carrier connections. Glovebox gives your clients the power to engage within their writing carriers and you, their agency, in a single, easy-to-use platform. Mention the Insurance Guys podcast and get 20% off of your monthly subscription for life, guys, for life. This isn't an intro deal. This is for life. Schedule your demo with Glovebox today. Thanks. Insurance agents from around the world, welcome to the Insurance Guys podcast. My name is Scott Howell, your fearless host and leader, insurance agency owner and insurance evangelist for I Protect Insurance and Financial Services, based out of Huntsville, Alabama. And before we get started on today's episode, please help me welcome, he is a six foot three sophomore from Saraland, Alabama, parade first team All-American rivals, five-star recruit. He is a fantastic insurance agent and a great American. Ladies and gentlemen, Please put your hands together and welcome the incomparable Mr. Bradley Flowers. How are you, Bradley? I'm great, Scott. How are you today? Well, I just got back from the dentist where I thought I was going to have emergency dental surgery. He says, no, no, because I don't do root canals on dead teeth. And you have to go to an endo whatever. I don't know the names <laughs> of all the dentistry professions that are out there, but it's an endo something and they will take care of this. Also, simultaneously while that is happening, I'm 92% sure my wife is at home in bed right now with the coronavirus. Now folks, I've okay. said it before and I'll say it again. We've all got shit. You've got to scrape the shit off your boot and just keep going. And that's where I'm at right now. So we are here today. We are going to podcast. Bradley has been outside his office using $158 plywood to put up on his office windows because he has a cyclonic tornado headed towards his office right now. I do. And uh, and here we are for you guys. We're here to row the boat one step forward to the lighthouse today. And I don't believe that I have had many guests on this podcast that I'm more excited about than the guy that we've got on today. He is one of the few people I've ever met in my life. Bradley, you got to back me up on this. I'll back you up. He is one of the few people in my life that I've ever met that when you meet him, you instantly want to be like him. He's got all the five jewels. He's got the looks. He's buttoned up. He's got the personality. He seems like he knows that he's got all his stuff in a pile. Bradley, am I lying or am I kidding? You're not lying. I mean, that's this guy. That's this guy (laughs) today. Yeah, right. I'm telling you, you meet this guy and you, after spending about two minutes with him, you go, I want to be like him. (laughs) I'm serious. I'm serious as a heart attack. It is now now time to give him the introduction that he has always deserved. Ladies and gentlemen, he was born and raised in Roxbury, Connecticut, and he currently resides in Delray Beach, Florida. He is married to the beautiful Carol for 24 freaking years. She ought to get a damn medal of honor for that. And he has two sons, Chandler and Carter. He is a graduate of Lafayette College, and he is the president of Erickson Insurance Services with offices in Litchfield County, Connecticut, 
New York City, Boston, Massachusetts, and West Palm Beach, Florida. A 30-year veteran of the insurance industry, he specializes in high net worth personal insurance. May have your favorite movie star insured, hint, hint. In 2017, he was named the 112th chairman of the Big Eye. He's testified on numerous occasions before Congress on topics ranging from the modernization of the insurance industry to the NFIP, and he has appeared on Fox's morning show, Fox and Friends, as well as MSNBC, Fox News, The Wall Street Journal, and has been a regular contributor to Worth Magazine. Ladies and gentlemen, it is my profound honor today to introduce to you First-time guest on the IGP, Mr. Spencer Holden. How are you doing, Spencer? Thank, thank you, Scott. Hey, Bradley. Uh, I don't think I've ever been introduced quite like that. And um, uh, either uh, maybe they start drinking down south a little earlier on Fridays than we do up here in the north. But really, guys, thanks for all you're doing for the industry, the value you're bringing to your listeners. You're, you're, you're challenging people to think differently. And I couldn't be more honored to be with you today. And I hope I'm able to provide some value like your other guests have. But really, for the two of you, thank thank you so much for all you're doing. I know it's um, it's a lot of work putting these together, and I'm, I'm humbled to be here. Did they not introduce you like that on Fox and Friends? I'm confused. Not quite. Thought, okay. No. About right. Hey, Spencer, let's get first thing first. I want to talk first about what's important. And what is important to me is when I look on your Facebook page, your son Chandler just graduated with a master's degree from Harvard University. That is a, a true statement. And uh, as you know, Scott, the things your kids do not only amaze you, but make you extremely proud. And um, we couldn't be more proud of Chandler. He's, he's off to do good work in this world in the area of higher education administration. He is not driven by the almighty dollar like his dad. Mm. He is driven by doing good in this world. And we're excited to see um, how he will start changing lives of younger people. Um, mm. So thanks for recognizing that. Well, I'm telling you right now, that is big doings. I You don't meet many people in your life, especially in the South. I'm sure you do more up in the Northeast and especially dealing with the types of people that you do that are Harvard University graduates. Now, you, you'll run into quite a few uh, Vanderbilt University graduates here in the South, but you know that's that's we're still talking you know apples and bananas there. And Harvard Harvard University graduate is a big deal, hard to get into, hard to graduate from. So congratulations to you and your family, Chandler. You got one thing left to do, brother. Time to take action and go out and make your name in the world. And you got all the pedigree to do it. And I wish you nothing but the best in your future. But today we're going to talk about dad for a minute. Well, actually for about an hour. So let's get in our DeLorean for just a second, Spencer, and let's go back in time and talk about how you got started in the industry and bring us up to today. Sure. Well, it's a second generation firm. Uh, my father bought the business from Mr. Erickson back in 1972 uh, after working for Mr. Erickson for a few years. And we live outside of, grew up outside of New York, about 90 minutes north of New York, and we're uh, a second bedroom community. To New York City. So we don't have a lot of industry. What we have is a lot of wealthy New Yorkers that, that live in the hills of the Berkshire Mountain. So it was a natural fit for us to uh, really specialize in personal property and casualty. But what really changed it, Scott, was when my brother and I bought the firm from our father uh, 16 years ago, we had heard a, a, a lecture from a, a someone actually at the 
Wharton School that we've gone to for three days for a, a seminar. And he really changed our lives. And, and what he said was, it doesn't really matter what product we're talking about. It could be insurance. It could be widgets. But as a business owner, you need to focus on one of three things. You either need to be the low cost option, such as Walmart. Don't expect great service and don't expect great advice. But if you want cheap toilet paper, that's where you go. Or you need to be innovative, like Apple. I, you could charge me five grand for an iPhone. I pay it because I can't live without the darn device. Or you need to focus on customer intimacy. You need to deliver a customer experience that is so good that people are willing to pay what they have to pay. And that's really what that consumer wants. And that resonated with us, uh, especially with the advent of the internet and people that were starting a certain segment of the population that wanted to buy insurance based on price. We said, we're going to retool our firm and we're going to go after that client who, while price is always important, they really value a different experience. They want advice. And, um, and so off we went, opened up an office in New York City, uh, later in Boston, now in West Palm Beach. And we're looking for, for that client that really wants a trusted advisor um, who has complicated insurance needs. And you know, domestic employees, large jewelry collections, multiple homes, fancy cars, uh, where they have a lot of assets that need protecting. And uh, we really enjoy what we do. We've, it's been a lot of work over the last 15 years during the retool, but um, starting to pay off and, and really enjoy meeting some fascinating people in this world. Well, and let me go ahead and give these agents a little bit of shock and awe real quick without naming names. The, some of the names of people that I know that you have insured would be, would be names that the agents listening to this right now would be like, wow, okay, okay. So, you know, guys, and, and I know it's, that's not all you've got. I mean, you've got lots of high-end, uh, high-worth type people insured that nobody really knows, but they're just people who, you know, have accumulated money and need to have insurance. But let's get into the meat and potatoes. You and I have talked about this, so I, I kind of know all the answers to all the questions. You know, you're not dealing with those people on a face-to-face -face going out to their house and meeting with them the way that a normal personal lines agent would. I know a lot of these agents listening to this are going to have that question like, well, how in the world did you start this, you know, or do this? It's, it's really hard to get started because you can't just go knock on an affluent person's door and ask to quote their insurance. Right. And so the way we've built it is, has been a lot of meetings with other professionals who surround themselves with those types of people, right. CPAs, family offices, wealth advisors. And we explain right. the way that we think and some of the things that some of the value propositions that we bring to that type of a client. Um, and there's certain strategies that we implement that we know that type of client is going to want to consider. For instance, they love high deductibles. They can afford a $50,000 deductible. They can afford a $25,000 deductible. They long for lots of liability. They, the only thing that can take them down financially is not losing a $10,000 watch. It's a multi-million dollar lawsuit. Lots of things like domestic employees and the Me Too movement and allegations of sexual harassment by a, a, a nanny or babysitter. We just you need to think differently and understand that they have tolerance for risk that that even I you know we don't um, right. at our, our level of, of income. And so it, it takes a while to get to think differently mm. and then to try to find the people and develop a reputation. 
talk so, a little bit about the family office and and what that is because I think a lot of our listeners are may or not a lot, but some of our listeners are definitely in areas where those probably don't exist. And I think it's a it's a it's something that interested me because I'd never heard of it when you mentioned it up in Boston. Yeah, it's it's uh, actually Bradley. I think you're right. Most people don't know what they are, and I think that's a great question, a great thing to bring up. Back in the 20s, if you would, some of the very wealthy families in this country, the Carnegies, the Rockefellers, they developed what they call single family offices. So the Rockefellers, and actually they still have it today, they have a family office that has attorneys, CPAs, you know, other professionals that handle all the affairs of the entire family. And then at the end of the year, they divvy up the cost and each each branch of the family pays you know, their pro rata share, but you have a, a hub that understands the dynamics of the whole family. That morphed into these modern times into what we call multifamily offices. They aren't Rockefellers, but they might be people that are worth 20, 30 million dollars that, that want a one-stop shop for all of their financial needs. And so there's in New York City especially, there are dozens of multifamily offices and they might handle 20 or 30 families. What we have um, started to do you know, 10 years ago is to go into those family offices and explain how we would like to be the insurance arm. And those family offices would prefer to work with one insurance broker instead of 20 insurance brokers. And they know that we're going to deliver an exceptional experience for them because if we screw up on one, we might lose 20 clients. So um, that's been a, a very successful way for us to grow the business uh, I, I am not exaggerating, although this is highly unusual. Um, so I don't want you to think this happens every day. But earlier this week, a family office that we work with often uh, encouraged one of their clients to move their insurance uh, to our firm. It was a broker of record letter for a $212,000 account. Mm-hmm. Um, this is somebody that has multiple homes, a ton of jewelry, a ton of liability. And uh, they felt that the broker just didn't understand how to handle the client and knew we did and, and persuaded their client to move the business to us. And um, as I said, that doesn't happen very often. That's just, you know, career things. Um, uh, but it's just amazing how um, that strategy has worked for us. What's your, and you said something the last time we were together that, that caught my attention and I'm going to try to get you to say it again without telling you what it is. What's your, your value add to these single family offices? What, how do you differentiate your firm? Well, I don't know if I'll say the same answer. So thanks for the challenge. Really, what's what's the different shame for our firm, I believe, is one, we do understand the needs of that client and we ask a we ask a ton of questions to make sure we're uncovering all the risk needs and to make sure we plug them. But we also our whole firm revolves around the client experience. We are passionate and we love wowing people and creating raving fans and our team, they're so dedicated and you know, they work, it's not a nine to five job. When, when somebody of this stature wants to talk to you um, and they're respectful, they're not going to ask you for a phone call at 10 o'clock at night, but when something's on their mind, they, they want you to be very responsive. And so I, I truly, everybody says they give great service. I, I truly believe that our service level is off the charts and, and it's not me, it's the 23 people that we employ that all day long. Um, but but that's what this type of clientele wants and gets back to that customer intimacy. They're using us for a different 
uh, client experience, much like why they're staying at the Ritz at $1,000 a night instead of the Holiday Inn. Correct. You said all of that. And then you said, at the end of the day, we don't screw up. Well, that is, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that should be your tagline. And I don't know that screw was the word you used, but that was what you yeah, said. My, knowing my foul mouth, it probably wasn't. But it's true. We have lots of checks and balances in because if if you do, it could be a, a pretty costly situation given the valuations we're dealing with. Spencer, do you find that your more affluent clients, and I know there's some that you you may not deal with them directly, but you deal with their represent a representative of them. Um, but but maybe even this question veers towards some of the ones you talk to. Do you find that the majority of them want to sit down and go over every line by line and understand every facet of their policy, or do you find that they are, hey, I want to pay you, and I want to trust that you're acting in my best interest and just get it handled? Which, which one of those would you say you have the majority of? Closer to the latter, but somewhere in the middle. Okay. So you are correct. Um, very often we're dealing with the representatives. Some of, some of my largest clients that I've worked with for many years, I've never met. And quite frankly, I will never meet because that's, they have advisors to handle these affairs for them. We try to keep everything high level, but we do want the client to be informed of the program. In fact, we insist on an annual review. Uh, I need to sit down. I need to ask you questions. I need to make sure that risk hasn't changed because these people buy stuff and they don't even think and they're buying cash. So they don't even think about the insurance side, especially when their advisors take care of everything. They just go buy themselves a $200,000 ring and don't tell anybody. So we have to, ha- we have to meet, but we try not to get granular. We, we stay high level. Um, we have a proprietary summary system that we use. And uh, we have to run through it at least once a year, talk about changes in the marketplace. What are the markets today? Should we remarket? Where are the deductible levels? Do we need more liability? Um, what's changing in the world? You know, right now we're talking a lot about cyber. A couple of years ago, we we're talking a lot about EPLI, talk a lot about personal directors and officers liability, if there's because they all sit on boards, both profit and not for profit. Um, but it's important to talk about those. Uh, different risks. And quite frankly, uh, I need to protect myself from an ENO standpoint because these could be huge ENO claims if we're not doing our job properly. Hey, Spence, I've got a question. I want to go back in your your history as a, as a person, just your personality and who you are and, and how that's helped you achieve your goals. Uh, Billy Williams always says that you know, you can look at somebody's resume throughout their life and kind of tell whether they're a winner or not, you know, what they've done. And I know you went to a, a college and, and you've done, I get the feeling, the sense from you that you've always, whether it was your environment and the way that you grew up and the, you know, the place that you grew up and the people that you were around, you may be more comfortable being around high net worth people because I remember when we were in Boston you made a comment jokingly and you said I was I was born with a wearing a blue blazer yeah that intrigued me I've thought a lot about that comment since I got back to Alabama and I thought you know different people are meant for different things but I wonder if based on your environment the way you grew up the people you surround yourself the people you hang out with if that's just your you just feel comfortable being around those types of people you know, I, I never thought about that, Scott, and, and that's fascinating. Obviously, I I come from great parents who right. taught good values and how to be polite and how to work hard. But you know, now that you said that, 
I have to attribute a lot to my summer jobs when I was young. Mm. Uh, I was, I grew up in a small town with not much to do. And so I became a, a golf rat. And starting in fourth grade, I worked in the pro shop at, at the local country club. And I worked there all the way until the day I graduated college. And when you work in a country club setting, everything is about biting your lip because the member is always right. It's about Mrs. Jones, Mr. Jones, how can I help you? I hope you had a nice day. Um, you have no choice but to deliver an exceptional client experience sure. at a country club because that's why they're joining and that's what your boss is going to demand of you. Right. And so I think looking back now that you say that nine years of working in a country club setting and being polite and realizing that even though Mr. Jones was a complete prick, um, you had to say, it's okay, I like you. Um, that probably has helped me because I've always been enthralled with customer service. And I love, even to this day, I love taking the grumpy people because there are you know 12% of the world is grumpy Right. And making them smile and all this and just diffuse them when they start to go off on you. Right. I, it's just a, it's such a science and I'm, I'm getting better and better every year. But to me, that's a challenge is to make them walk away going, huh, I actually like Spencer. Right. When they come in ready for uh, bear. I would love to like to have a team of psychologists study you <laughs> because <laughs> because when you meet. Okay. Okay. So I asked people about you before you came on the podcast and the words I heard were things like polished, refined. When, when someone like myself, who is just riddled with self-doubt, uh, meets someone like you, the first thing I think of is this person's better than I am, better agent, better human being than I am. But I think the, the surprising thing about you is when you start talking to Spencer, you realize, man, he's just a good dude. He's just a good guy. I mean, he's easy to talk to. He doesn't. He doesn't seem pretentious, or, 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 or you know, you don't come across as any of that. And maybe, maybe you're right. Maybe a lot of that is attributed to working in an environment where you knew that serving those people that were spending thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands of dollars a year to be a member of that country club what was expected of you. And I think it kind of molded who you are as a person and probably really helped you now that you've reached the level that you're at now. Other questions that I had for you relative to what I think the other 250,000 Scott Howells out there are thinking right now is, you know, we talked a little bit about what differentiates you guys, customer service, those types of things. Specifically, if I talk to one of your high net worth people that you do have a relationship with, right? And I'm not talking about the, 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 the group that, that group that you probably are working with an intermediary between you and them. I'm talking about just the, you know, regular folks that, that you do have a personal relationship with. What do you think they would say about your firm and, and what would be some ways that maybe you would, your firm is different from Scott's firm who writes these shit out of personal lines insurance for everyday Americans, right? What, what do you think some of those differences might be? It's a fascinating question. And let me be very clear. Our firm is based on our team, not about me. Right. Uh, we have 
a group of people who are so dedicated to the mission that it is crazy. So we we do implement a net promoter score. Mm. And the way it's triggered is after somebody makes a change, and we only ding them once a year, but after somebody makes a change, the system automatically sends out a, you know, what do you think of Ericsson one to 10? Our net promoters, we use a firm called Ask Nicely to do it. The, the people that ask nicely will tell you that our net promoter score is in a, is a ridiculous number. It's a 92.3, which is not a 100-point scale, by the way. Um, it's a minus 100 to a, to a positive 100. And they have an opportunity to pick an adjective after they give the score. Uh, and we, we made up the adjectives, but it's knowledgeable, responsive, uh, empathetic. I forget the five. But what's amazing is 90% of the time, they, they hit the, the adjective of responsive. They can only pick one. And... So we have a saying at Ericsson that the client doesn't really care what you know, they care that you care. And you can always get the right answer. But it's funny, they never say, oh, I love Ericsson because they know what they're doing. They say, we love Ericsson because they're responsive. And we are, we, we try to return calls within you know, 15 minutes. We try to return emails within half an hour. The whole theme is you have to set expectations. If you can't get back to the client the same day, tell them that. Just right. say, thank you for your email. I did receive it. I will not be able to respond to you until uh, tomorrow, but I will be back to you before 10 o'clock. Just set that expectation versus don't answer at all. And they're like, they never get back to me. I can't tell you how many clients, new clients we get. And I, and I said, what was, where were the pain points? They never called me back. I couldn't get a hold of anybody. Right. People mm -hmm. were terrible. Like, guys, this isn't that tough. Right. Answer the phone, return a call, return an email. These are your clients. So everything that we do is around just be responsive. When something's on that client's mind, it's on their mind. Answer it. Mm -hmm. Don't let it sit around for two days. And so I think that that's, that's a really big thing. And that's hey, what the clients say. They hey, say that Erickson's responsive. Spencer, I heard, I read a book one time. And I can't remember who the author is. Of course, I'll remember it five seconds after we get off this podcast. But see if you agree with this statement. I wrote it down here because it was in my mind. It said the person that was talking said the higher the net worth of the individual is, the less time that person has to deal with you, meaning Higher net worth people, and I think this goes in a little bit into that responsiveness that you just talked about, those high net worth people seem to have a lot of irons in the fire, a lot of things going on. They don't, they don't have time to sit there with your personal lines agent and spend an hour talking on the phone about just bullcrapping on the phone, if you know what I mean. Do you find that to be the case that they're, you know, they're, hey, need to get this done and it's pretty quick? Uh you know, Chubb Insurance Company is trying to change the vernacular from high net worth to successful because I don't know how to define high net worth. But I think that that makes sense in the statement you're making. Everybody's busy. Everybody, as you said early on, everybody's got shit in their life. You yep. know, nobody has time to, to do anything but get their stuff done. I do think successful people, though, are very busy being successful. Right. And right. I, I think what that speaks to, Scott, is their need for, for us because mm -hmm. it's amazing. They don't pay attention to stuff. Right. I'll get a new prospect. And I'll look at their existing policies and they're walking around with $100,000 of liability on their auto and no umbrella and they're worth $10 million. I'm like, right. you are one accident away <laughs> from bankruptcy. Right. 
And they're like, oh, I never have time to look at this stuff. Right. And you know what? I don't have, I don't look at my will. I haven't looked at it in a year. I just, you, it, when you're busy in life, whether you're rich, poor, whatever, you're busy, you don't have time for this stuff. So yeah. I think everybody's busy. And I tend, I, I, I like writing email. I, li- I like the art of, of the English language and writing, but I try to be, I try to write in a way that is proper, but very succinct. Mm. I mean, do not just cut to the chase and right. tell them what they need to know and say, have a good day. Right. And don't blab forever um, because you're right. They don't have time for it. They just want the answer and they want to move on. And And don't take a person. They're not looking to be your friend. They want you to be their advisor. That's, that's, all. One, they're, that's they're, one thing. That's one thing we've had to learn in our agency with high net worth individuals. You know, we deal with quite a few on the commercial side with multifamily syndicates, people with high net worth that are, you know, own multiple, multiple, multiple apartment complexes. It's just business. It's just yeah. business. It's not personal. And they will say that to you. Hey, look, don't right. get upset. This is just business. Right. Mm-hmm. And they, they put their pants on the same way we do. Right. And they're good. And they're good people. And, you know, what I have found with, with our clients, they're so respectful and they so appreciate the value that you bring to them and their family. They're not rude. They're not pretentious. They're usually very appreciative of what, what you do. On the MPS, uh, back on the MPS subject, two questions on that. One, uh, talk a little bit about your process with that. I thought that I found that very interesting the last time I heard that. I believe every review goes directly to you, and then you have a specific set of things you do after that. But then also a curious question for me for some of these clients that say you're dealing with their rep- representative. I'm assuming that request for the review goes to their representative, not the client, correct? Correct. Okay. So we have in our system, we we might have multiple email addresses in the system, but there's a box for the primary. So the primary is the person we deal with on a daily basis. And so after the change is made, the email goes to that individual. And as soon as they respond to it, a text message type of box appears on my phone, but also on the producer's phone that's assigned to it and the account executive that's assigned to it because they're um, they're coded in the system. So uh, Katie from my team, one of her clients responds, it instantly shows up on her phone and um, occasionally we'll, we'll get a five or a six. And I literally will call the AE and say, do you know what happened? Don't know what happened or do you know what happened? And then I'll pick up the phone and I will call that person within 10 minutes of them pushing that button to say, I need to learn more. Where did we screw this up? Where we're poor is celebrating the tens. I'd like to get to the point that I'm I'm also saying thank you for the 10. And I'd like to do that. I'd like to do that through some sort of a handwritten note. If I can, I, I we're trying to figure that out. But um, we take this very, they took the time to rate you and share their thoughts. Um, they deserve us to take the time to say thank you or thank you and ha- tell me more on how we can be better. It's a lot of fun. Now, um, Bradley, you you bring up an interesting subject is about these representatives. One of the things we do struggle with is the representatives. They you know they have authority, consensual authority from the person that they work for, but these people are deleting cars, adding jewelry, lowering this, doing that. Technically, we should not be taking quote unquote orders from anybody but the named insured and. But if I say, well, I really need the name insured to, you know, 
write me an email? Like, no, I don't <laughs> think XYZ person right now who is filming a new film is really going to be calling you to tell you to delete that piece of jewelry. That's why. Hey, so, hey, tell Tom Cruise to jump <laughs> off the set at, at uh, half a million dollars an hour and send me a email that he needs to get that ring taken off his. Yeah, that so, like so it's that very so it, it, it puts us in a really weird position because all day long we are affecting changes on people's policies. Um, now, of course, my E&O care is probably listening to this going, we've got an issue, but but we know, I mean, we, we have authorization forms that we get signed. Right. It is a little weird. We're, we're doing business with somebody who's not even insured. You know, I, I, I was just sitting here when you, when you and Bradley were talking about that thinking. I could think of like young professional athletes that, that are making large sums of money. You know, people in the music industry that when you see them on either television or Instagram do not look like the most responsible people in the world. Let's just be honest. And I'm, you know, without naming any names, but I was sitting here thinking, how in the world do you get that person to like, even tell somebody that he just (laughs) went around the corner and bought a new Maserati, you know, like I didn't know I was supposed to tell anybody. Actually. Hey, Bruno um, Mars, we need you to sign this EFT form real quick. Uh, some of those individuals who who live lifestyles that are less than honorable right. or out of clubs all night and right. you know, they're really hard to get insurance on. Yeah. Insurance yeah. companies don't want to touch them. Right. And a lot of those young athletes fit fit that bill. Um, so, sometimes, I mean, we really have a tough time getting them just auto, automobile insurance. Um, it's it's always a little bit of a challenge. Yeah, I think of back my- in uh, Justin Bieber's younger days, didn't he get caught once or twice doing like 140 in neighborhoods and stuff? And I'm sure, I'm sure an insurance company would just love to hear about that. Our, our yeah. friend, Mr. Tom Hegna, used to do this YouTube series where they would go through um, from the life insurance angle and financial planning angle, estates that were not settled or handled correctly because the person didn't have their ducks in a row before they died. And they did one segment on Jimi Hendrix. And then at the very end of it, uh, he's like, well, let's be honest. Jimmy wasn't getting life insurance. <laughs> <laughs> hey, I, I, one other topic I wanted to bring up with you before we get off today, and it's something that's been seared into my brain. Comp- competence equals confidence. And I think one of the areas that you shine in is throughout the course of your career, you have taken the time to read all the policies from all of the high net worth or excuse me, successful carriers. <laughs> That's something with you that I can tell would really resonate and, and something in the, uh, the niche, if you will, that you're in, that would be a necessary, you know, part of it. You know, you can kind of bullshit the guy that, you know, lives down the street here and you're just personal lines agent. You get on, call or you go visit one of these representatives from a family office, I'm guessing their bullshit meter is probably set at pretty low and and they can tell whether you know what you're doing or not. Talk a little bit about that and how your competence in this area has really benefited and and really, you know, helped you guys get to where you are. Well, you definitely want to know the answers, but you know, you have to realize, Scott, I, all I have done for 30 years is property and casualty personal insurance. Right. I am a dummy when it comes to commercial insurance. Mm. We don't do life and health. We don't do any benefits. 
And so when you're looking at a homeowner's policy that's 22 pages long, as long as I memorize those 22 pages, it's pretty right. easy to look smart. I remember when I came into the business, and this, you know, this might be a, a good little tidbit for a younger agent. I came in the business and I just wanted to, at the time that our agency did benefits and everything, I, I just really enjoyed the personal lines. And I had a, a mentor friend that owned another agency, a, a competitor, but not really, just more of a friend that said, you're going to have to branch out. You can't go your whole life with just knowing personally, you, you know, you need to be well-rounded in this business. Right. And my brother um, at the time, my older brother took care of the commercial he has since left the business and my younger brother owns it with me now and, and he manages our commercial. Uh, I've just done nothing but personal. And boy, I'll tell you, after 30 years of doing nothing but personal, you better be good at it and you better know all the answers because right. it's really not that difficult when you are so finely niched like I am. So right. don't, don't give me too much credit. I live and breathe this for 12 hours a day for 30 years. Um, I, 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 pretty much, uh, I pretty much am good at it, but don't ask me a question about commercial work comp. I understand. So let's talk a little bit about your involvement with, I'm intrigued with how you got into positions with our organizations or associations related to the insurance industry and kind of what you're doing, or if you're doing anything with that today. I know that you were the chairman of the National Big Eye back in 2017, I believe. What what made you get that involved over the years in those organizations and and then uh, I guess talk a little bit about your involvement today as well. It was just a slippery slope that sort of happened. I don't really know how, but I was very involved with the Connecticut Big Eye Young Agents, served as a chairman of the uh, Connecticut Association, loved the interactions, learned so much from other agents and the programming. And they asked if I would serve on the National Big Eye Board. Um, one one agent from every state makes up the board. It's a it's a fifty person board. Almost looks like the UN. And I thought that would be intriguing. I'd I'd learn a lot from other jurisdictions, meet people around the country. It's fairly easy easy lifting. Three meetings a year, a bunch of reading in between. So I was honored, and I I agreed to um, to serve in that capacity uh, when I was on the board. And I, that was pretty much where I wanted it all to end. Um, it's a three-year term. But when I was on the board, they asked if I would serve on the Government Affairs Committee. There's you know 10 people on the Government Affairs Committee. And I thought that'd be interesting, but I thought that's just be during my three years. And then I had an opportunity to serve as the chairman of the Government Affairs Committee. And uh, once I did that, everybody was saying, well, you should really run for the National Executive Committee. I'm like, ugh. And so I ran for the National Executive Committee. And then that's a seven-year um, jaunt to the top. So it sort of just kept progressing. And then, you know, 17 hit. And quite frankly, after serving as national chair, um, it's a full-time job. I basically had to leave Erickson for a couple of years. You're, you're, you're ready to move, get back to your normal life. Uh, it's a huge commitment for, for my family, mm. for my agency. And so I'm, I am still involved with the big guy in a couple of different capacities, but not nearly um, certainly supportive and, and believe that we need a strong trade association. I, you, know, you and I have talked about this, Scott. I, I do believe that the value proposition has to change. Um, I do think there's a role for associations, but it's, it's a different role than it was 20 years ago. So I love I love our trade associations and what they do for the independency system. Uh, it was an, an absolute honor and thrill, and I learned so much by serving and uh, never regretted a moment of it. 
Yeah, I, I actually am a member of the Alabama chapter of the Big Eye. Bradley went down to their annual meeting and uh, because it was so close to him and point you clear. You just had it, right? Yeah. yeah. Mr. Last Ru- Mr. Rustball was there. Mm-hmm. I didn't I know that. Yeah, Mr. Rustball was there. Scott Addis, I think, spoke. I heard. Scott Addis spoke the second day, yes. Yeah, he was. Uh, I had a conversation with him the other day and he said he'd been down there. So sounds like the program was pretty good. It, yeah. it, was, it was good. It was certainly better than I went two years ago. We didn't have it last year. I went two years ago. It was certainly better than then. The f- a funny story, funny thing that happened. I'll tell the story because the podcast listeners will like it. So I'm sitting there and I get there. I, I wanted to go see Kevin Elko speak. Kevin spoke the first day and I got there kind of late and I, I kind of snuck in the back and I sat down next to this guy and I didn't know who he was. And uh, we're sitting there talking and it is uh Bill Seeger, who is formerly, what was his position, Scott? Uh, executive vice president of the Alabama chapter. Gotcha. And and I had I had knew that Scott knew him because we talked about it. And I and I saw his name tag. I said, Yeah, I said, you know Scott Howell, right? He's like, Yeah, yeah, I know Scott. He said, I think that boy does that podcast with lives down here in Mobile. <laughs> and I said, Yeah, well, that that's me. <laughs> Bill, Bill watched me grow up from the time I was about three years old, and uh, his partner in their agency uh, has been always been a mentor of mine. He's somebody that I've really always looked up to. He's he's a great independent insurance agent. You know, I, I need to be more involved. I, I really do, and I know a lot of agents listening to this right now are probably saying the same thing. Spencer, you know, I need to be more involved in our local Alabama chapter and get more involved. I don't think I want to get to the point where I'm, you know, up, you know, making decisions on whether or not I'm going to be able to work with my agency because I'm so involved, but I I do need to become more involved in it. Well, you know, you you and I spoke about this one day and I, I think we do a very poor job as a trade association, the big eye specifically, and letting our members know all that we have to offer because it's very plentiful. Mm-hmm. And one of the passions that I have at the big eye is ACT, Asian Council on Technology, mm-hmm. where you know things such as download actually came out of. But it, you know, there, there are three meetings a year when you're bringing company people and technology vendors and agents together to talk about how we can be better and more efficient. And it's amazing um, what I get out of, the, of ACT, which is just one of 52 things the big eye does. Right. A lot of our members don't even know ACT exists. Right. Or, or if it does exist, really what it does. So um, it's normal. You know, Scott, we're all busy. You, don't, you only have time for to listen to so many podcasts and go to right. so many big eye events. And, you know, we, all, we have to make a living, too. Yeah, that's exactly right. We talk about that a lot on this podcast is rewards come from action, not discussion. And, you know, depending on where you are on the continuum of your career, maybe somebody like myself has more time to go down there because I've got basically four principal agents working in my agency where, you know, if you're a one man shop and it's you and a account manager and you're the one selling insurance, you may not have time to go to different events or things that are going on relative to the big I or some other organization. But yeah, I think, I think everybody, if they can, should have some level of involvement, even if it's just joining because, And and this is the last thing I want to talk about relative to that is there's that legislative arm that is behind the scenes that none of us really know about working to make sure that things aren't happening in Washington, that one day you wake up and go, "Uh uh-oh, 
you mean they're not going to require insurance for a mortgage or you know, whatever it may be? I, I'm not just making yeah. an example there, but that's You're, you are correct, and I I can assure you because I had the pleasure, as I mentioned, of serving as government affairs chair for three years. There is so much stuff the big guy is doing behind the scenes that you will never know because uh-huh. they're not really allowed to say. But the influence that the big guy has in Washington, uh, mostly driven by InsurePAC, uh, you know, the $2 million cycle pack, uh, $2 million plus, uh, they're, they're in some of these meetings and getting stuff done behind the scenes that uh, we don't appreciate. But I can positively assure you that it is happening. Right. Well, Spence, I, I so much appreciate you being on the show today. I know I know you and Bradley need to go change the world after this podcast is over and got lots of things to do. But guys, listen to me. As I always say, rewards come from action, not discussion. Get your ass out from behind that desk today and go out into the big, bad world and build relationships. The man that was on this podcast today, show has done it. And he's been very successful at it. And I I am humbled to have him on this show. He is your beacon. You hope to one day get to where he is today. I'll promise you that. But go out today, make money for your wife, for your husband, for your kids' college fund. Send those bastards to Harvard University one day and let them get a master's degree from Harvard. Help your parents that are struggling out there. Help them. Go make money for all of those people today. Write good business for the companies that you represent and write good business for the agencies that you represent. Bradley Flowers, I love you. Thanks, man. Thanks, Spencer. Thanks, Bradley. Oh, no problem, Spence. We'll talk to you soon. Guys, you are listening to the Insurance Guys podcast. We love all of you very much, and we hope you have a great week, and we'll see you back here real soon. Take care. Thanks for listening to the Insurance Guys podcast. If you need to know more about me or you need to get in touch with Scott, you can always reach me at theinsuranceguyonline.com or email me at iprotectins at gmail.com. And if you need to get in touch with Mr. Bradley Flowers, go to bradleyflowersinsurance.com or email him at bradley at sarahlandinsurance.com. Guys, we love you. Thank you so much for listening. We look forward to being with you again real soon on the next episode of the Insurance Guys. Take care.